Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. All right. Welcome back to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. We're talking case study here in the chiropractic niche with Cosm. And so far, we've talked about the change in offer from going from you know a free adjustment in this space. It's sort of a common offer, and that tends to sort of attract the Groupon freebie type of customer to a whole health evaluation. So I want to get into the the specifics of like what you guys did from a tactical perspective after the break here. But just one last question on the YouTube ads themselves. Probably a fairly low ad spend. Like, can you what can you tell us about those sort of awareness or sort of consideration ads. And you made a really, really good point, which I think we we should not uh, forget here that we need to make sure people get the you ads in the health and wellness, the medical, if you're mm-hmm. anywhere near that space, the you ad, you really can't use the word you especially when you're referring to any sort of medical condition. This is in terms of service of all these platforms. But I love the way that you said that. Larry can talk about Larry's issues, you know, and that's where you as an advertiser can get around some of those compliance issues and be completely compliant. And I think we've talked you know, fair amount on this show about the value of somebody else telling your audience how great you are, as opposed to you telling your audience how great you are. And the testimonials, you know, and we talked about this, one of the other previous case studies is taking the best chunks of those testimonials, that maybe the 15 seconds that really mm-hmm. resonate with the thing, the conversation that's going on in their head. And it sounds like you guys nailed that on the front end on those YouTube ads. I'm paraphrasing what you said before, but I think that's something that I think we all should think about as advertisers. Like, how can I really resonate with my market? How can I get around or stay in compliance of some of these, you know, these compliance issues and and things in in individual platforms, which are going to be pretty much universal, but also how do you identify that audience and how do you do it? And you can usually do it in a pretty low ad spend especially when you're in a 20-mile radius, my guess is that that wasn't a huge spend. We're talking about $12,000 total spend here. So tell us a little bit more about those YouTube ads. Yeah, the benefit with the YouTube ads is as long as you're not asking for a conversion, the minute you ask for a conversion, your CPV goes you know, up, 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 up. But if you're not asking for a conversion, if you're going after brand awareness, which is a, a really intelligent thing to do if you can be strategic with your target. And in this particular instance, we knew exactly demographically who we're targeting. And, and by the way, I learned this from Alric Heck. I used to think that Google's socioeconomic targeting was, wasn't great because it wasn't. Every time I'd ever tried it, and especially the display network, it never, it never yielded the results that I wanted or needed. And what Alric said is, and he's like, dude, I don't know why this is, but the, the socioeconomic targeting in YouTube is phenomenal. 
So if it doesn't work in Google, I know nothing about that. But inside of YouTube, just try it. And he was absolutely right. You can target by household income, which is the, another thing that we needed. This is a, kind of a more affluent service. And so within 20 miles and a specific age range and a household income, I've got an X, a Y, and a Z axis. That's a really specific target. Within that target, I don't need a conversion action. I just need you to see my video. You are my patient. And if it's not today, it'll be three years from now. You know what I mean? Like that's the way to think about this top of the funnel traffic. So if you're that, that, that targeted, then now we're just going to go to YouTube and say, hey, just go for brand awareness. Just get me as many views as you possibly can. And then your traffic is so cheap. I I think we end up spending some total, about 20% of the budget on the top of funnel YouTube campaigns, which in retrospect now, maybe we should be doing a lot more. Like really, if you think about if you're playing the long game, you know, maybe that should be half of our campaign. And that the thing that I would do there was I would zoom out and look at a year's time because my, my impression right now, especially the way that we're seeing this campaign improve efficacy month over month over month, the patients that we're converting now are patients that were actually acquired 90 days ago. But marketers think in 30-day terms. So, you know, you think about like, oh, okay, I ran this campaign this month. What happened this month? And I think with YouTube and kind of the slow burn that is that, that top of funnel campaign, I think that we need to get a little bit better at zooming out and trying to find the correlation between when did the top of funnel pop and when did that actual patient drop into, drop into our lap? Mm, absolutely. Certainly seems like within a 20-mile radius and the X, Y, and Z axis targeting, you really have to keep an eye on your frequency as well. So you're not burning them out with any one particular video. And we can we can get to that as well as some of the tactics that you used in the Google campaign right after this quick commercial break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. So there was an offer change. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. And I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. The start 
Then we went into YouTube ads, the very, very top of funnel. Now let's get into what you guys did sort of after that. Obviously, you're going to be retargeting your YouTube video viewers is my guess. But what did you guys do next to ultimately lead to the results that you got for this customer? Yeah, the retargeting was important. And retargeting is tough in, in the medical space, as you know. And so, you know, we were trying to make sure we're staying in front of the patient without doing anything that Google decides is is super unfriendly. But we're going after phone calls specifically. And so there was a, a CRO event where it, it's funny too, man, because, and this is a really sophisticated doc. I really liked him. And I hope he doesn't take offense to this next part, but he kept, he kept telling us how important phone calls were. And then I hop on his site and I was like, dude, your phone number, first of all, you know, like it's in the header, but the header isn't sticky. And so if I scroll, the number goes away and it's small and it's not highlighted. And I, I don't, I think it was an image. It wasn't even, you know, clickable or actionable for mobile. And that was the only place you'd ever find it. And so we went through his site and made the phone number, you know, big and prominent and ever present. You couldn't be on any page at any time without seeing that phone number. And then we tracked and recorded all the calls. So that was, that was really important. And we got an, an uh, incoming call increase of 300%. Now here's where I become dangerous. I can't attribute hundred percent of those incoming calls to paid ads because of the way that Google functions. Now I can track all of the tracking numbers because they come in through call tracking metrics, but here's what's interesting. And this is something that I know happened. People will see your brand, see the clinic, see your logo, see your face, see your videos, see your remarketing ad, and then later go search for you in a way that doesn't allow us to track that back to a paid impression. So what ended up happening is their call volume went up and it was the client that told us like, guys, whatever you're doing, this is great. And that's when we were saying we can only see, you know, we're seeing a 40% pop and he's going, no. And, you know, he's got all, all of his call tracking internally. And he shared with us what, what, you know, the, the, the conversion lift is what we call it, where you see a lift, but you can't attribute it directly to paid ads. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up actually tracking and recording all of his organic calls too from his site. So we used a call tracking number, not just for paid, but also for the calls that were coming in directly to his clinic. And that ended up being really important to do. So can we take a step back there and just talk about this type of ad, this type of ad medium. And this is the first time we've actually heard about this on the, on this show. I think it would be instructive, but also for anyone who's who's running ads on Google, tell us a little bit more about this this type where you're actually, you're, the call to action is the phone number as opposed to like a lot of meta advertisers are probably thinking to themselves, well, what is that? Like I click the link and then the link goes to my site and then they convert. So tell us a little bit more about this style of ad on Google? Yeah. So Google has a click to call extension that I generally hate with everything inside of me. And the click to call extension can be used across different ad channels, which is kind of cool. And so the priority there is to call. But what's interesting is we actually don't always use click to call ads when the priority is a phone call because it's such an easy conversion. And if you have any issue with spam traffic or, you know, click farm traffic, the click to call ends up being something of a waste. So what I'll do with every client is I'll test what happens if I run click to call versus running a an ad to get them to the landing page and then prioritizing the phone number on the landing page. And that's what we did with this particular client. Click to call with this client wasn't functioning as well as getting somebody on the and I think a lot the big reason for that is the ability to explain the offer in an ad 
is almost non-existent, especially an offer like this. It's sort of multivariate. You know, there's, there's a lot of specifics that have to be conveyed. And so we got them to the page. And then once they're on the page, now, you know, you can't, you can't thumb scroll runtime without having that phone number readily apparent to you. Always there, obviously highly mobile optimized. Right. Right. It's constantly right. sort of on the, the top header. Is it safe to say in that particular case? Yeah. That we had that sticky header with the number there. And to be honest with you, it's not like super attractive. That's the other thing about CRO is there's what's pretty and what works in that Venn diagram doesn't overlap too much. You know what I mean? Like, oh, so yeah. your branding people are always going to get a little pissy with you. But for me, it's like, well, do you want money or do you want your website to look pretty? Right. Right. Yeah. I need you to shut off that ad because it's not in our brand guidelines, even though it's converting <laughs> it like you know, one tenth of this, our target CPA. Great. Yeah. Just keep doing more of that. I think we've beaten that one to death in our previous Black Friday, Cyber Monday episodes, but hopefully people are getting that loud and clear. So anyway, so this is not, so the click to call ads in your experience, especially, and we've both sort of complained about this inside the Google platforms, especially is like, you know, there are click farms, there are like quality issues when it comes to that sort of stuff. So the click to call is just too easy and it's hard to filter those types of leads out is is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I'll use it in some instances. I'll use it for like emergency chiropractic, by the way, which is something that this clinic doesn't use or like septic services. You know, the thing where somebody needs something so desperately, they're just going to get the very first person they get on the phone with, but it can dilute the the quality of the lead in, in direct proportion to the ease. So it's just something to be worried, you know, careful of. That's a, that's a nugget unto itself right there. Mm. You know, like if you are selling, I will fix your arterial wound because you're about to bleed out and die in five minutes. Like you want to click to call ad, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> Whatever it happens to be. I mean, I can think about, you know, like what's a, you know, it's probably not a toothache necessarily, but you know, if uh, I can't even think of a dental emergency that's that bad, but I mean, maybe a toothache. But the point is, is the more urgent the need, the more you skew towards click to call. Whereas less urgency on the urgency scale, a little bit less so, you would skew more towards clicking to the landing page and then having that sticky header to call from there. And that that seems to correlate, but you guys test it regardless, it sounds like. With most clients, yeah. Every now and then I'll be in an industry like automotive. I'll never run click to call an automotive ever. Even with the quality leads, you know, like we had a we had a client who only sold classic cars, really, really high end classic cars. And if I ran quick to call, he got just dummies. But if I got people to the page and they saw the pricing and they saw the offer and they saw some of the prerequisites, because you can't just show up and you know drive the Shelby Cobra. You know what I mean? Like you you have right. to pre qual and do all that good stuff, and and that decreased the call volume, of course, but right. increased the call quality, which is really important to them. Yeah. So super good there. Okay, so I interrupted you. So they get to the landing page, not you know super brandy. So anyway, but the point is, is like you're getting leads here. You're getting people, you know, clicking that that sticky header. Then what? Like, what's the intake process after that? Dude, these guys crushed it, and that's where you know, as the marketer, I can't take any credit for this at all. The people that answered the phone were medical professionals. They weren't doctors, but you know he'd he'd have gals in there that had you know experience in, in whatever certification is necessary for you know providing acupuncture services or certain types of physical therapy, and that's an expensive that's an expensive thing to do, but it was so valuable because if you call and get the receptionist that's, that's you know just kind of like 
even if they're kind, there's no value they can provide, then you haven't started building that relationship yet. But people would call in and they'd end up with somebody who was empathic and knowledgeable. And so, you know, they'd ask things like, you know, oh, well, tell me what's going on. I'm, I'm experiencing some, some problem with my lower back. And, and then they'd ask something like, oh, what kind of shoes do you wear? And instantly the patient's engaged. They're like, oh, why do you ask that? You know, and, and, and it was kind of a, a fun thing to see and experience because their relationship building started right out of the gate. The, the consult actually started with that initial phone call, which is really important to think about. Like you started delivering on the promise immediately instead of making this person wait. And so you kind of got your tendril, you know, out further and farther and stronger. And then the other thing that they'd always do, and I don't know if they were doing this intentionally, but it felt to me like they're doing it intentionally is they'd open a loop on the call that they would close in the appointment. So, you know, like the, the, what kind of shoes are you wearing question? That's one that was asked often. Another one was, you know, tell me about your, your work life. What do you do? How, how long do you sit? Do you get up and walk around? And then they'd, they'd have like a test where they'd be like, oh, you know, we've got this thing or, or I want to see, you know, oftentimes is one leg longer than the other or whatever. And they had like these things that they would say, when you come in, one of the things that I really want to do is this. And then they talk about that wellness evaluation. They, they'd sort of seed this thing that they knew the patient was interested in. And, you know, their show rate, I think, is effectively 100%. You know, somebody might like sleep through their alarm or something. But otherwise, they, they had like a one in five show rate prior to. And now they just everybody who, you know, calls and schedules shows up. So it really is like that next step. And I would imagine this this is these people are professionals and they're dealing with patients on a on a day-to-day basis. The people that actually field the actual calls. So my sense is that this would be probably a nine to five operation. So there's you guys probably cycle through and like maybe turn the ads off like when they're not there. Like how do you yeah, actually get them, them to stop? Keep them running all the time. Okay. Yeah, keep them running. There is an answering service, an after-hours answering service that goes till I think nine p.m. And then after that, they can leave a message. And that's you know, it's a balance of risks, man. There because you're absolutely right. If somebody calls in, here's the benefit you have: is it's an unreasonable person who calls in at like seven p.m. on a Sunday and expects the clinic to answer. And so, as long as you're getting back to them quickly, you know, I think you can you can still qualify those leads. But if you turn the ads off, especially with Google, I don't think Facebook is this unfriendly. But with Google. Whenever you pause or turn off ads, when you turn them back on, you re-enter learning. And I swear to God, I don't think that's necessary. I think Google actually does it on purpose. I think it's Pavlovian. They're just training us not to turn off the ads. They know exactly you know, what they're doing. They know, yeah, 100%. There's no reason for them to penalize this, but, but it keeps me running the ads. So you can throttle down ad spend a little bit, but you don't want to turn them off wholesale. Right. Dude, do you hear the battle of the birds that's going on right now? I do hear the battle of the birds. <laughs> Drew, I'm so sorry. I'm in Hawaii, and uh, there are these tropical birds outside, and they are not happy about whatever's happening to them. Yeah, you might have a National Geographic episode on your hands there. <laughs> that's right. Okay. No, this is really good. So keeping the ads on full stop, like all the time is, is really is essential here. It's a screening process as well. If somebody's calling 9 p.m. on a you know Saturday night, they don't expect a live operator at that point in time. I mean, this is a, a bricks and mortar business after all. So, but keeping the ads on is obviously the way to continue the conversions going. But I think the key here not to be lost on this is like when you have a, a lead coming through, when you have a quasi-qualified phone call physically coming into your office, 
Like you need to handle that in a way in which those people are going to be triaged quickly and they're mm. going to be triaged in a knowledgeable way. And I think a lot of businesses mess this up, Kasim. I remember one of our first Facebook ads clients, and I've mentioned this on the show before, was a bookkeeping company. It was a virtual bookkeeping company. And we generated, we looked in their CRM by the, at the time when they fired us, <laughs> we got them, I think it was 3,700 leads, name, address, phone number, first, last name, name of the business, like highly qualified going through an application process. And they fired us because they didn't close any sales. They said we weren't growing their business. When my mistake was asking that important question, once they come in, who takes that call? Who handles mm. that? What's the follow-up sequence like? Who is actually following up with it? It went into a database and it was just, it disappeared. So that's an example of no follow-up and a worst case scenario. And somewhere between that and where you're at in this case study is probably where you need to be as a business. You know, do you need to have your nurse practitioners getting on the phone if you're a medical practice? You know, do you need, or do you maybe just need somebody who's like a counselor if you're a psychiatric practice? Like we have a, a brand new customer that's doing that, for example. So, I mean, there's all sort of grades to here, but like that first contact with your office, that's kind of a gift, right? Like they are ready, willing, and able to spend money with you. And they are calling in because they have maybe not an urgent need, but a need. And they are looking for you for help. So it's up to you as a business owner to really think strategically about that first touch. And it sounds like this group did an exceptional job of that. They crushed it. And dude, I, to the point that you just made, maybe it doesn't need to be like the full-on nurse practitioner because I know how expensive that labor is. Hmm. But if you take a really friendly receptionist and you teach them 10 sound bites, right? You know, if they say this, then you respond with that. Like, I just feel like that's not that hard. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a, you know, this is a call template that a business owner, like this might be the most important thing that you do as a business owner. If you wanted to, if, if I'm the chiropractor, I'm like, well, if I was taking those calls, what would I ask? Right. And think about it that way, as opposed to, oh, I'll just outsource that. I'll just let somebody else do that. No, 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 no. This is important. Like, this is a point of inflection. This is the zero moment of truth, the ZMOT, right? Like, you got to figure out right there, like, are they going to become a customer or not a customer, a client or not a client? So I think having, you know, at the very least, training somebody up that understands that flow and all you're really doing is triaging them. This isn't the sales call per se. Like, you're triaging them sort of that next step. The final conclusion on that, on that first touch, though, is a sale in your case here, which makes it even more interesting because they are literally taking out their credit card or putting down payment for that for that initial consultation. Correct, or am I mistaken there? They are. They didn't pay until they got into the clinic. Okay. Yeah. So they, they manage that expectation on the call. They're like, all right, it's 99 bucks and you can play when you get here, which I think speaks to the value of the offer because their show rate was still super high. So it's not like you got people's money and then sort of like, you know, baited them into the, the clinic after the fact because they, they'd already paid. People wanted what they were signing up for. And some of the appointments ended up getting booked out pretty far because we kind of overwhelmed the clinic, which is a good, it's a good problem to have. But they ended up with, you know, I don't want to say more leads than they can handle because they're handling it pretty well, but they ended up with a lot of leads. And so 
you know, you'd see bookings that were two and sometimes three weeks out, which is pretty far for, you know, pain, like a two week out. It didn't happen all the time, but I, it, it would happen sometimes to where somebody's, you know, for whatever reason, the schedules don't align and they're two or three weeks out. And that's a long time for somebody to wait when they're in. And, you know, it, it sucks that the bandwidth isn't there, but it's like, it actually speaks to the efficacy of the offer. Hmm. So the, as I understand it, they call in, they talk to the highly educated professional, or at least somebody who has a template or a decision tree of questions to ask, potentially, you could set that up as a business owner. And then you schedule and then it's a physical schedule. They know they're coming in and it's going to cost them money. So that I'm interested in the show rate from the call to them actually showing up that seems like that was super high as well. Like that conversion path right there was, even if it's two weeks out for people that are in pain was still pretty good, which speaks to the fact that you're screening them. Well, you're pre-educating, you're pre-selling them, you know, with some kind of pre-engagement content. Then they come to the site. They look at the site. Once again, another contact. All right. This seems like me. They're talking my language. They're talking about the conversation that's going on in my head. And then I'm going to physically click and call them. And then it's the third contact. Now I'm talking to a a professional who seems to understand me asking good questions. And then the fourth contact is really is them coming in physically to that office. So I'm interested in that between that third and fourth contact, what's the conversion rate or the show up rate? You said it was pretty good. Yeah. So the the truth is, is I don't have the data here because they're not tracking it. They should be. Anecdotally though, because that's the big question that we would ask, of course, as you can imagine. And the response is, oh, they're all showing up. Like everybody's showing up. And remember, this is a, this is a clinic that was used to like one in five showing. So I think if a couple are slipping through the cracks, they're probably not noticing or or don't think it's a big deal just because their expectations were so, so low. But, you know, this is one of those instances where, man, I wish they had a better CRM. I wish they were actually using it. A lot of these medical clinics have these like proprietary, you've seen them, Ralph. There's like these these tech stacks that, you know, they, they get their hooks into you and you have to use them now because like your supplement ordering and your POS is tied to it. But but I can't add UTM parameters. There's no way for me to see through. You can't give me access because there's no user rights. And that's where they are. It's, it's, not, it's not an ideal situation from a tech stack perspective. Right. So in an ideal world, you would be able to measure that. But in this particular case, like you're in the calls that you have with these guys, are like, yeah, everybody's showing up, which is pretty everybody's good. So the, yeah. so the conversion rate there is, you know, 70 plus percent is probably my guess. But, you know, if you're doing this on a massive scale, if you're taking out this model that we're talking about here and doing this for a national company, for example, you're going to want to track every little bit of this, you know, because you're going to want to figure out where's the hole in my game here and where can I actually improve it along that sort of four touch paradigm. We're sort of assuming that the first touch is only one touch when in fact, it's probably, you know, multiple touches. They've probably seen your YouTube ads a couple of times, you know, and then they click or they maybe click and then they don't take the next action. So, but yeah, so you want to be able to look at that for here in this particular local environment, it's pretty much good enough. And I wanted to re- revisit one thing that you said earlier that you just touched on this time, the show rate for the ads. It's really important. You have a ton of videos because it is such a long burn and you don't want to exhaust people with the same ad. And so you need like 10 plus 
which is hard for a lot of clinics to come up with, especially if we're talking about case study videos. But it's so, so, so important because if you don't have that much media, Google will stop showing people your video and maybe they'll stop showing people your video before those people have properly warmed up. So you want to make sure that you diversify your ads significantly. And if you don't have 10 full case studies, then, you know, do what Ralph always talks about and, you know, make a mashup or make a couple of different mashups just so it feels and looks different and they don't get fatigued. Because mm-hmm. especially in this case, I mean, you can, I think with those, those video campaigns on YouTube, I mean, you're really looking at your, your frequency of individual ads. I mean, if you're right. showing to, and I would imagine a, a 20 mile radius with your demographics, it's probably, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people, depending on what the population is of the area, maybe a hundred thousand. Like it's not a right. huge, huge audience, right? You're exactly right. And that's why the low spend here, you know, sort of makes sense. Because it, it, that's the other thing, too, is you can't push a rope. So a lot of these folks, I, I, I have very, very strong suspicion that, you know, we're still four or five months out from seeing the real impact of this top of funnel campaign just because it's so new. Mm. So pump in lots of front end content, figure out what works, going back to the dentist use strategy, too. Like, what's your audience yep. engaging with? It's like always good. And you can just do this on your Facebook page and or just on your YouTube channel, whatever it happens to be, like where are you getting the most engagement, helpful, useful content, always helpful. In this particular case, we're really using individual testimonials of, of patients who have gotten good results in the past, triggering back to you know the conversation that's going on in their head, and then having lots of that media up front. And it can be just, it, it could even be like some of the same testimonials just mashed up in a different way. I mean, hire somebody on Fiverr for crying out loud to say, hey, I need 10 different videos, mashup videos of my testimonials and, you know, give them the best, maybe have your internal team give them the best 15 seconds or 20 seconds or 10 seconds, whatever it happens to be, or, you know, have somebody do this. And it's for short money because like that asset up front is going to be something that you're going to need not only in your marketing, but probably on your website as well. Like people are always Dude, your looking. email nurture. Yeah. You, when you talk to a, yeah. A hundred percent. You should use that everywhere. Goodness. Yeah. These are, these are assets that will help you sell because you're not the one that's doing the selling. And it's like we said before, it's completely compliant with a lot of the, the restrictions that are on some of these platforms. Yeah. So this is a fascinating case study. So tell us a little bit more about some of the results here and some of the other data points that you guys discovered as you continue to scale it out in a modest spend, which is, you know, a little over $12,000. Yeah. So, I mean, two grand a month adjusted for margin of error is nothing. But what when, what we found is when it started to work, the, the conversion actions became so consistent that it, it, it let me know that I think it was just a time decay issue. And the difference between September and October and, you know, for our listeners, it's stark. It's really drastic. This little dotted red line is September, and then the the solid red line is October. And you can just see where the September impressions fed the October conversions. And this is a point that I'm going to champion often. Marketers think in 30-day timelines. And so if you're looking at your impressions in October, you think that they're feeding your conversions in October. And I don't think that's always true. I think you need to start to figure out where the actual correlation is, especially if you're going full funnel and top of funnel. And when we started to see this campaign work, it was almost like switching a light switch, but that's, that's the wrong way to think about it too, because I've got a very strong suspicion again, and because the attribution is so hard, I have no way to prove this, but I think it was the September impressions that fed the October conversions. And what that means is I have a lead indicator. 
So I can go look at the October impressions and see what November is going to look like. And the November impressions are going to you know, teach me what December looks like, et cetera. And so learning to zoom out and look at your data holistically, and then also understanding that there's a click to buy gremlin in everybody's brain. If somebody clicks on my ad, they should buy today. And you have to find that gremlin and you have to kill it with fire because that's not true. We're operating off of a 500 touchpoint paradigm now. And if somebody sees your ad today, and this is true for so many industries, especially if you have an educated consumer and a high ticket product or service, it could be months. Dude, it could be years. You know what I mean? Montessori school parents start researching Montessori before they're pregnant. They're so neurotic. That's you know what I mean? Like that's a, oh my God, that's so good. That's like, right? think about that attribution window. Yeah. Everybody listening. You know. I mean, you know, Montessori education begins at 18 months and they're not even, they don't even have a bun in the oven yet, but they're still, they're still going to school on this industry. So you just have to be in it for the long haul, you know? And if you are, I think that this type of model could really work for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the screen that we're looking at right now is basically is a correlation between clicks or really sort of impressions and conversions, which is ultimately calls. And it, you like this is the tail end of the six month engagement. So it sounds like it took about four months to start figuring this out. Well, like what was the because the first three or four months? Okay, was the learning process, which is kind of a standard in our industry. It's the reason why we always say, well, you know, you know, you got to engage with a new process that is at least 90 days, at least at that yep. point in time, if your marketing department, if your agency is doing what they're supposed to be doing, you should have data there. You should have some learnings, maybe a lot of ways in what not to do, because there is a lot of failure, like we talk about on the show all the time, You know, typically 80% plus percent is the time you're not figuring this stuff out. But once you figure it out, one in five, you know, if you're sort of average in the digital marketing world, that typically will take you know, 90 to 120 days at bare minimum. And this fits perfectly with that, with that model and with that algorithm. And you guys obviously started to figure it out. And this, you know, starting in sort of months four or five range. And I think just as business owners, you need to have some patience here. Just speaking back to what you had said before, you know, not everything is going to work right out of the gate. And you, but you will learn a lot and you have to look at your data. You guys are obviously looking at your data and having constant contact with the customer. I'm like, all right, how are we doing? Like, how are our leads? Like, how are things going? You know what I mean? Some of the, like the non-data points, just understanding the business and then pivoting appropriately, you know, to be able to get to the results that we're talking about here, which are pretty astounding. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about this one that I said at the beginning of the call is I tried to pull the plug. You know, we got to the end of month four-ish and I was just like, dude, I'm not seeing signs of life. Like normally I'd see something, you know, I'd see, oh, hey, there's really strong view rates on this. But like I was seeing nothing. And I was just like, I, I, I don't feel comfortable spending your money anymore. And, and God bless the client. He was just bullish. She was like, no, I know you guys are the best. Keep going. Let's try something else. What do you want to do? You know, mm -hmm. and, and then when we kind of took the reins a little bit more, it really started to work. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of this one, man. And uh, soft note, shameless self-promotion. We're giving away the template here. You know, there's a lot of chiropractic clinics that just can't afford a Google Ads agency. And I've got a heart for this particular world, by the way, just because of some personal issues I've gone to and how much help I've, I've had from the chiropractic world. So if you go to soul8.com forward slash Cairo, C-H-I-R-O, we're going to give away the, the, you know, sterilized blueprint as to how we built this campaign, what we did and what you, you can do for your own clinic. That's awesome. Well, that's solutions8.com forward slash Cairo. Definitely check that out, especially if you're a contractor. Well, any sort of 
service. I was going to say, well, if you're a chiropractor, well, it's any service-based bricks and mortar business. A lot of the principles apply is my guess. And I, I know you have a lot of bricks and mortar, you know, as customers at Solutions 8. How many are closely modeled to what we're seeing here in the chiropractic space? Is it safe to assume that if I'm, you know, and a local attorney, I might be able to do the same kind of thing? Or if I'm, you know, name any other service-based business in a local setting, is this applicable to those businesses as well? I think it can be as long as your service is higher end. And here's what I mean by that. I don't think this works for dry cleaners or coffee shops, you know, or, or, or even restaurants per se. But I think it would work for like a high-end mechanic, you know, something where there truly is disparate value and it does require some level of prescription and diagnosis. So if, if you own the prescription and diagnosis process, I think that, you know, a home builder, for instance, or contractors, remodelers, like I think that this could work really well for those types of businesses for sure. Mm, fascinating. Well, this has been a tremendous one for us here. I love the local case studies just because it's just, you know, it's, I mean, we're not talking huge budgets here. And this is one of the things I love about this is that you don't necessarily need an agency to do this per se. And it's like, we talk about this all the time. It's like, you don't necessarily need an agency. And mm -hmm. if you're not, if you're not spending at all, and maybe you have on paid advertising and you've never done it, the first time you do it, you're going to be on the learning curve. So you might as well do it on your own dime, right? Instead of paying an agency and an agency fee to go along with it, which I, mean, I think my sales guy will probably kill me for this, but it's so true. It's like, go out and figure this stuff out on your own, whether it's, and you can do the same thing on the meta platforms too. Yep. Like this is very applicable. Like you guys did it on Google, like the whole, you know, top of funnel consideration, brand awareness, you know, on video and then retarget to an action. How many times have we talked about that on this show? It's like you could do it on whatever platform you're most comfortable with. Obviously, you guys did it in the Google platform. But I think before you think, all right, I need to fill out a form and go to Solutions 8 or Tier 11, like figure it out on your own first, especially if you have somebody on staff who's who's maybe been listening to the show for a little while. And then once you scale to a certain degree, then you can call people like us as, as my is my sense at this point, but I don't know, maybe your salespeople are going to send me nasty emails no, I now too. I absolutely agree with you. If you've got two grand in ad spend, you know, my, my fee is more than that. Don't, don't give me more money than you're giving Google, you know? So we're, we, we're toying right now with the idea of having a, a special arm just for chiropractors because we've cracked the code here and maybe the fee gets a little friendlier. I'll, 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 you know, if you're interested in that and you're listening, reach out to us and get on our list or something. But, for the most part, I think small spend accounts, uh, be real careful with the agencies you hire. The thing that pisses me off more than anything, quick soapbox, is those agencies that want like, you know, whatever it is, 30 grand for the, the initial analysis, funnel build out, like all the stuff that, that doesn't provide value yet. And if you really dig into it, it's just because that agency, that's where they make their money. You know, they're not like us where they're like, all right, let me go try to do something where there's a return at some point. They always want to do the things that just help them monetize. And so if you're a small business owner and you're listening to this, be real careful about what you get talked into. Like ask yourself on the other end of this engagement, is there even the possibility or, you know, are they charging me 10 grand for a brand package because they like to sell brand packages and that might not necessarily be what you need. Yeah, it's true. Especially if you're doing this on a budget. 
like bricks and mortar businesses, like we get tons of people that fill out our form and we just simply can't work with them, nor do we think it's the right thing to do because they either mm-hmm. don't have spend or their business isn't big enough. You know, I mean, there are exceptions to that. I mean, if there is no revenue, no ad spend and their venture capital backed and they've got you know, an enormous marketing budget to be able to test all these sorts of things and they want to pay an agency as part of their model, like, yeah, that's fine. But I think in most cases, if you're, if you're not spending much on any platform and your revenue is maybe under, you know, two, three million, I try to figure this stuff out on your own. And this is a great case study to be able to do just that. And it's not just about throwing ads up and saying, oh, Facebook or Google doesn't work. It's about really thinking about like your entire process. And I think we've broken that down sort of probably far more than you really wanted to here, this case study, <laughs> because I think there's lessons to be learned all along the continuum that I think can really help a lot of businesses out there. Yeah, 100% agree with you, man. So really appreciate that. So head on over to soul Eight dot com s o l the number eight dot com forward slash Cairo for this template, especially if you're a chiropractor or a service based business and you're local. I think that's super super helpful. Also, make sure you go over to the customer acquisition show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm going to plug it this time because this is exactly the kind of stuff that I think businesses really need to know. Yes, traffic is a component of that, but it's everything in the whole holistic view of how to win in the online world how to acquire more customers and how to enhance their lifetime value, which is really what you probably want to do. And I think you were able to really do this here with this a chiropractic a customer here at Cossum. So kudos to that. But head on over and watch, listen to wherever you listen to podcasts, the customer acquisition show. Tell us what we can do better here at Perpetual Traffic. Go over to perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. We do listen to all of those suggestions, read them, and subscribe and leave a rating wherever you're listening to Perpetual Traffic. And you can follow me on LinkedIn. That's Ralph Burns LinkedIn and Kasim over at Twitter at Kasim Aslam. Make sure you go back and listen to previous episodes of this show and all resources and show notes that we mentioned here are over at perpetualtraffic.com. On behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. 